Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke from That Film Shoe. My co-host today is Jason. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Yeah. Actually talking about comic book characters this time. And again, I'm ruining your intro. <laughs> That's right. I mean, last time you were on, we did Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. A while back, we did The Mask Evolution. They all count. Yeah. And once again, we're doing a Jim Carrey movie. I'm sorry, I'm ruining your intro. <laughs> Today's topic, Batman Forever, a standalone sequel to the 1992 film Batman Returns. It's not, that's incorrect. Not 1990, you said 1992. Oh, sorry. I get what you mean. Sorry. So, I'm sorry. After this episode, you're not allowed to come back. It stars <laughs> Val Kilmer replacing Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne and Batman alongside Tommy Lee Jones, Jim Carrey, Nicole Kidman, Chris O'Donnell, Michael Goh, and Pat Hingle. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. Okay, so you thought I was talking about the first Batman movie, 89. When you said the year, I just thought you meant this movie came out in 92. I purposely called that Batman Returns. You, you did. Because I recently reviewed it on the show. But anyway, this movie, Batman Forever, which did come out in 1995. Yes. What does this movie mean to you? Well, I mean, the reason you asked me specifically to come on and, and do this one with you was mainly because this was my first Batman movie. Um, being a 1990s kid, um, you know, this seen this as a five-year-old, this movie was more in line with, a, you know, the childlike mind and audience and just seemed something that I was more allowed to watch. Um, so yeah, Val Kilmer, my first Batman, his Batmobile was my first Batmobile. This was my introduction to Batman. I think probably more than any Batman cartoon or anything like that. I mean, I must've watched some sort of Batman cartoon, but this was live action Batman to me. Bat nipples and all, man. Like... <laughs> we'll get to that. I'm the <laughs> We will get to it. But do you mean theatrically or at home, your first Batman? No, like both. Like I hadn't watched the other Batman movies um, at home or any in any way. I don't even think I thought I saw this theatrically. I think this was home video. Right. Okay. At some so that's, point. Yeah, that's what I was asking. So my my first theatrical Batman was Batman and Robin in 1997. Same. Okay. Okay. Same. So we both had the ba- same bad experience. But we'll, because by that by that stage, that. it was established that my parents knew I was a Batman fan. Right. I had watched okay. the other three movies and, and cartoons and all that. So they were like, "Oh, let's take them to the Batman and Robin." You know. Well, I'll be reviewing Batman and Robin in a future episode, so we'll leave that. But I, yes, I just always knew Batman growing up, being a DC kid. And I had the toys from Batman Returns. I don't think I had toys from from the 89 movie, the first Michael Keaton movie. Right. I mean, I am a little bit older than you, so I remember yeah. not at the cinema, but Batman Forever being a premier movie on cable, which in the UK was referred to as satellite TV, and it was like the premier movie. It was Saturday night, and I was in high school. So I wasn't five. <laughs> I was a little bit older. But this, yeah. I remember this being the first Batman film where it was something that I knew about before it came out. Whereas those 
two Keaton movies, they kind of, they'd always been there. Of course, yeah. The, you talked about the toys, like, for me, the Batman Forever toys were the toys that, when we are at a toy shop or something and I was, you know, being given a toy by my parents. Yeah, they loved me. They bought me toys. They were the Batman Forever toys, you know? Like, I opened the packet of, you know, to get my Two-Face, to get my Riddler. They were those toys. I had picked up from, like, swap meet, garage sales, toys from, like, the 89 movie, from Returns. But the brand new toy, these were my first Batman toys. Like, I've got, you know, Val Kilmer as a bloody Bruce Wayne ridiculous how it looks like him very slightly but it's still good enough enough. my memory of the batman toys it could even be 89 because i remember brand new getting the bat plane where you pulled the wings off and you attached them together and made like a bat hand glide and then the center there was like a claw thing yeah the center part made like a a little vehicle like a three-wheeler Something like that. Oh, it was a while oh ago. okay. So I, I had a, I had a, a bat wing, and it was it, there was like a trigger thing you hold, and it was like there was like a pinchy claw at the end of, the, and you could like pick up stuff with it. I don't know. <laughs> but let's stick with forever. And you know what? Before we talk about the movie we actually got, there was a time where Tim Burton was actually connected and was set to direct of course he did batman batman returns he ended up being a executive producer on this film but initially the film wasn't called batman forever it was actually called batman continues no i'm not stupid now i've got the same ring to it you know i've always thought like batman forever would that made a better fourth tile but anyway yeah batman (laughs) Continues. So would Bad Boys for Life, but you know, oh, I we know, can't, I know. we, yeah. <laughs> too late, too late. But when Burton was attached to a third Batman film, he had three central villains. He had Brad Dorff as the Scarecrow, Robin Williams as the Riddler, and Billy Dee Williams as Harvey Dent Two-Face. Burton, however, left production after feeling Warner Brothers wasn't too keen on his latest ideas. And so the original release date of 1994 was pushed back to 1995. So we almost had 89, 92 and 94. I mean, I know, I know you would have wanted a, and I think you probably still do like me. You want that third Burton film just even out of curiosity, right? Like what would it have been? You know, Michelle Pfeiffer back as Catwoman. Billy D. Williams finally making the transformation from Harvey Dent to Two Face. You know, like, and then obviously the other things, Robin Williams and stuff as the Riddler. It would have been all of that. Of course, know, Michael Keaton there, back. There's enough that I really like about the Schumacher version that I'm okay. Mm. I'm curious. Yeah. You know, it would have been interesting to have seen Burton's absolutely third movie but you mentioned you know billy d as two-face he finally got to do that in the lego movie in the lego batman film yeah which was cool better late than never and it was lego but still it, it counts but the schumacher version eschewed the dark dystopian atmosphere of burton's films by drawing inspiration from 
the Batman comic books of the Dick Sprang era, as well as the 1960s TV series. After Keaton chose not to reprise his role, William Baldwin and Ethan Hawke were considered. So just knowing that Schumacher's inspiration was the Dick Sprang era, which was very, you know, brightly coloured, silly, and the 60s TV series, and then putting that through a 90s prism, that's the movie we got. That's exactly what we've got. <laughs> like, that's, that's it. He achieved it. <laughs> like, you know, if that was his goal, it's there on the big screen. You've got to give them credit for, for you know, describing it that way and saying, look, if that was their intention and that was their goal, they did succeed in doing that. Because you watch this movie and you go, this is the 60s Batman TV series, like in a 90s, in a 90s realm, uh, you, you know, <laughs> big theatrical feature, all of that, spruced up, bat nipples, I'll stop. <laughs> if the studio wanted what Schumacher did, I can see why they didn't want to go with Burton because he would have been so far removed... Yeah, from this. The film was released on June 16th, 1995. It grossed over 336 million worldwide and became the sixth highest grossing film worldwide of 1995. This is a film that had a budget of 100 million. Tripled it. Yeah. This was a hit. You know what it it comes down to? I mean, whether, you know, it critically received or not, it's... I think because it was more accessible to younger audiences that people could then, you know, families and parents were like, well, we can take our kids. And then what happens with family movies? You know, like you take your kids, then the parents go, you're selling five tickets, not two, not one, you know, like you're, you're, you're doubling, tripling your ticket sales just on that. I mean, it made money, but it did receive mixed reviews with criticism directed towards the CGI Kilm's performance, costume designs, and tonal departure from previous films, but praising the visuals and performances of Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones. All I mean, valid. Yeah. <laughs> All valid. <laughs> and of course, the film was followed by Batman and Robin in 97, with Schumacher returning as director, Chris O'Donnell returning as Robin, and Clooney replacing Kilmer as Batman. But again, that's for another episode. Let's stick <laughs> with with Kilmer. I got to say, any negative stuff we have for this uh, these two Schumacher films, any negative we have to say, it all leads us to Nolan's Batman trilogy. <laughs> it would yeah. that wouldn't have existed unless we went down this path. So, it know. worked out in the end. It worked out. The plot focuses on Batman trying to stop Two-Face and the Riddler in their villainous scheme to extract confidential information from all the mines in Gotham City and use it to learn Batman's identity and bring the city under their control. In the process, he gains allegiance from a young, I say young, adult, orphaned, Circus acrobat named Dick Grayson, who becomes his sidekick Robin, and meets like and 30. develops his older than that <laughs> feelings for psychiatrist <laughs> Dr. Chase Meridian, which brings him to the point to decide if he will lead a normal life or if he is destined to fight crime as Batman forever. <laughs> There's a lot there. All in the film. 
Oh, yeah. Lots of bright colours. <laughs> Even throwing the title there, I like it. Yeah, but you know, there's there's an actual story to this film. There is quite a lot there, going there on. Is. There. there is. Um, to give the movie credit, you're right. Like the plot's actually, you know, like the villainous scheme is is like, all right, it's pretty pretty intense. Like there's <laughs> there's stuff going on, and there's there's a is it a good thing for Batman to sort of go after and try and defeat his villains on the loose? We can get to the villains, but as well as that, you've got adult Bruce Wayne dealing with childhood trauma and it's being presented in a way that we've not seen before in live action. Like he's got his dad's journal. He's having the, the flashbacks to the bat, the cave, the nightmares, and he's struggling, like, you know, which path is he going to take? Is he going to continue to be Batman or is he going to live a normal life? There's, there's a lot going on. There's Robin, he's got an earring. There's, there's just a lot going on in this movie. Let's talk Joel Schumacher, like, before Batman. Like, this guy, early 80s, selling Moore's Fire with the Brat Pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favourites, The Lost Boys. Yep, definitely, he did, yeah. He did the original... Flatliners, Keith Sutherland, Kevin Bacon. This guy has got some good films under his belt. Then Batman and Robin, again, <laughs> stop mentioning that film. Uh, what I did find interesting, though, Val Kilmer and Schumacher clashed during filming. Schumacher described Kilmer as childish and impossible. According to Schumacher, Kilmer refused to talk to him for two whole weeks. What's making a tentpole blockbuster? I remember years ago, I read something about Kilmer on the set and he would rehearse his lines in a box. <laughs> okay. Like in a booth? Like, I, I just said box. I just imagine like a cardboard box or maybe like a wooden box. I don't know. But he just want to be away from everybody. But 1995, Kilmer was having a bit of a year because Walt's doing Batman Forever. He also did Heat, which is bloody brilliant. Such a good film. Yeah. Schumacher, what I didn't know until today, uh, was born in 1939. The relevance, the same year that Batman was created. I think that's got to be a first, that a director is directing a character on screen that was created the year that they were born. I didn't know Schumacher was that old. Well, he's since passed. He was, but yes, he was born. Has he? 39, yeah, this year. Did I miss that? Oh, that was this year, wasn't it? That oh, was. yeah, and I was like, I was like, that's a good excuse to rewatch these movies, but then I didn't. <laughs> I did until this now. podcast. Instead. Until yes, now, until now. Okay, we uh, can, I did, yeah. okay. Let's, talk, let's talk Batman. Val Kilmer. You see Val Kilmer now, he, he's not getting the best projects. <laughs> You'll see him no. pop up. In, in certain things and often the other cheapness to them. But he is a really good actor. And, and again, I mentioned Heat, but even in this, we're getting a good performance. But you've got to think, like because, so this is the third film, and I mentioned it's a standalone sequel to those Tim Burton films. But you've got the same actor playing Alfred, the same actor playing Commissioner Gordon. Mm-hmm. Yep. Another thing that carries over from Michael Keaton's Batman is those round spectacles that Kilmer has to wear because of Michael Keaton. 
just to carry on because there is a loose continuity through these films. So I always yeah. thought, and doing the rewatch for now, just seeing those little round spectacles, and that's obviously a carry on or a carryover from Keaton's time. That's a good point. Does he have a turtleneck in this movie? No turtleneck. I don't think he does. Uh, I think Clooney, Clooney sports the turtleneck. So they'll, they bring uh, that back. I know they bring it that back. much. But, Kilmer yeah. does have a mole, a real life mole. Edward Nigma makes a point of looking or dressing like Bruce Wayne. And that's why that's like, the thing that's my mole. <laughs> that's the thing with the glasses. It's like there's that scene where they're interacting um, and, you know, like he's, he's wearing like, it looks to be like the same tux. Um, you know, Bruce Wayne puts on his glasses when he's explaining something or questioning, you know, Nigma, and then Nigma puts on his glasses, and then when Bruce Wayne takes his off, Nigma will do the same thing. He'll just yeah. he'll take his off. All like, intentional. He's, just like, he's all trying to be him. But I mean that's we'll get to Riddler. But what um what Val Kilmer's doing as Bruce Wayne, it almost seems like he is really trying to put on, like, do a good dramatic performance as this yeah, damaged character, this character yeah. who's, oh, I appreciate that. I'm like, he's taking this seriously. Like, he, he is. is. Yeah, I getting it done. He I is. really like, I really like his Bruce Wayne. He commits the ultimate sin for me as Batman. And it's the right. scene where he goes, because again, this, again this, this movie is a live action cartoon. It's, it's very oh, silly. 100%. But yeah. there's the moment where Batman goes, because there's a little, there's a little triangle, of course there is, between Batman, Bruce Wayne, and Chase Meridian. And he yeah. goes to her bedroom, and he's about to... And this is where, the, this is where the movie becomes like some sort of romance, like seductive yeah. dream sequence scene. But the it's all that, real, it's all happening. <laughs> but the thing <laughs> that he does that I hate to this day is when she realises that it's not Batman that she's in love with or who she's in love with. It's Bruce Wayne. And Batman goes to leave. He stops and he smiles mm. under the cowl. It's an awkward, it's an awkward smile. It's I've just, always hated it. Always hated it. But when they've got their exchange, sticking with the costume, and we'll get more to it later, but just, just for now, when she's talking about, what was it? You know, in high school, it was... Uh, leather jackets or motorcycles. And she's going through all the different fetishes of you know, the people she's, she's like on, pushes on. And she's like, now it's black rubber. And then Batman goes, try to <laughs> oh, find right, yeah. less to take off. But I'm like, in 1995, watching this, hang on a minute, your suit's black rubber? I suppose, I thought it was supposed to have like Kevlar and it's protective and all of this. And I guess that could be under that. But I hated the description of his suit like in the film as being actually describing as black the rubber. prop. Yeah, like then when you look at it, you're like, costume. Oh, it is black rubber. rubber. Oh, it's yeah. black rubber. But in the film, yeah. it's clearly not supposed to be. But that always bugged me. But I did <laughs> like the try fireman less to take off. It's, it's a good <laughs> comeback. But Batman smiling is wearing black rubber. Yeah. How do you how do you like Val Kilmer as Batman though? Like besides that besides that smile, the ultimate. Hey, scene that... I I think he does a good job. I really do. I think he... I'm nodding. I'm nodding. You can't hear me. Yeah, do no, that. I, well, I can I'm see nodding. you nodding. I appreciate it. <laughs> this is an audio medium, but I can I appreciate it. Use your words, son. Yeah. I think I see. I grew up, and again, those Keaton movies, I love them so much. But Returns, especially watching it again recently, the fight scenes, there's not many, and they're very slow and staged. I think 
Kilmer is doing a better job here. I'm still going to say Keaton is my favourite, but I think Kilmer is not phoning it in. I know he was hiding he in the box really, yeah. at some point, but what we're <laughs> seeing on screen is good. He may have been hiding from Schumacher for like two weeks. I don't know. But I like his Batman. I mean, and he probably playing. thought he was making a Burton-level uh, film <laughs> and didn't get it with Schumacher and was like, I'm going to my box. Yeah, no, I think it's good. Yeah. And you're right with the action. Right with the action with him. He's, he's, he's kicking ass and there's a lot happening. And yeah, it, he does a pretty good job and I think he's doing a legit job as well. Let's talk um, some of the villains then. We'll, we'll get to Kerry. He's the big one. Let's do Tommy Lee Jones, Harvey Dent, Two Face. I mean, I mean, damn! Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think this is the only time you see Tommy Lee Jones like this. He's going, he's batshit crazy. In this. He really <laughs> he's is. He's going, he's going full Jack Nicholson Joker. He looks to be having the time of his life. There's a story that I've heard many times over from multiple people. And it was Jim Carrey going out to a restaurant. Tommy Lee Jones is there. And there was some friction and they clearly weren't getting along on set. So Jim Carrey approached him. And the reason that Jones gave, and and word for word, I've always loved this. He said to Carrey, I just can't sanction your buffoonery. (laughs) Which is just like, just such a memorable thing to say. Like it's always stayed with me. But then she's oh, okay, so that sounds like an actor that's working with another actor that's going completely over the top. Look at what Jones is doing as Two-Face. I mean... It, it is it so is. over the top. And at his times, opening, more than Riddler. His opening scene, though, you know, like it's, it's like a cold delivery. It's very dry. He's like, you know, he's monologuing and it's like, whoa, this is pretty creepy. This is pretty intense. He's like, what's he, what's he on about? And then, you know, he turns his face and it's revealed, you know, you see the, the, the get up that he's got and it's just, oh. And then every other time after that, he's crazy, man. Like, and you said it, he is, he's essentially playing the Joker in Two-Face, in a Two-Face yeah. get up. Yeah. Like he's, you know, when he's like the ring, he takes over the ringmaster role at the circus. Like he's performing and he, he's being this big, larger than life, chaotic character is the Joker in this movie. Like, yeah. or, and and, and, you know, a, a well-known yeah. interpretation of the Joker. And he is more Joker than Two-Face. Even the flipping of the coin, which is, you know, just like his face, scarred on one side. And yeah. apparently the design of this film, it's the initials, the scar, the, the scarring on the coin is HD. But he really is going more Joker than Two Face because in this film, if he flips the coin and it doesn't, the coin doesn't agree with him, he just flips it again. Yeah, Two Face in the comics, the Aaron Eckhart performance, the animated series, he goes with the coin, and that's the thing that he is a guy that's at war with himself. Like he was Harvey yeah. Dent, the district attorney. He is a good guy. And he can no longer make choices or trust himself, so he uses the coin. So it's very different. And this film is the first time that I've seen Two Face with a purple half face. It's like a purpley pink. 
Well, it's almost like a, I mean, you do see like a clip of his origins very briefly. Oh, yeah, let's talk like, about that. It's the worst. He's got the, he's got the, <laughs> the, the paper with the acid Half on it. Half a piece of right. paper. Yeah. Batman tries uh, to save him. It's Batman in court during the day, looks ridiculous, and he goes to jump across the courtroom. He gets there too late. That, that whole sequence is one of the worst in the whole movie for me. Oh, it's, it's just a snippet. It's just, and it's, yeah, it's, it's just a couple of seconds. It's shocking. It's just, I mean, yeah. I don't mind the purple design. Like, it's kind, it's cool in like an iconic kind of cartoon. It works way. for me within yeah. within this film. It, yeah. it does work. I mean, the the effects, like the makeup effects for for Two Face, and later on Riddler when his face gets all morphed after using the the box. Rick Baker is the one doing those effects. I think it was Stan Winston on the first two Batman films, but he wanted to take the effects further. Whereas, so this version of Two-Face is the first time he's not had the exposed teeth through his right. like, disfigured cheek and he's not had the bulging eye. Baker wanted to take it in that direction or, or, or do it just like that. But it was the studio that wanted him to tone it down and that's what we get in, in this movie. It is. I think they obviously went out and went, look, it needs to look pretty much like a cartoon. It still looks kind of freaky though, especially in certain lighting. I'm like, oh, like it's pretty menacing. But it is, I mean, it's a perfectly straight line down his face. It always is like that. Two face always is a perfect straight line. <laughs> in a in the cartoons. On yeah, a comic yeah. like, in a cartoony comic book yeah. version. It, but this is a cartoon though. So it's it, that that's right. It works tonally. But yeah, Tom Lee Jones as Two Face, like again, a different Two Face to what we're used to. But I really I like what he's doing here. I really do. And then when you get him oh, together, he's just nuts. He's just nuts. But then you pair him with Jim Carrey as Edward Nigma, the Riddler, that those two, even though off screen maybe didn't have the best relationship. But wow, these guys must be great actors because you really buy their chemistry. Like they are so good together in this film. Just two nuts, just two nuts together. Like it is crazy. I mean, what Jim Carrey is doing here, I mean, I, I think we've seen it done again after this by other actors in other types of roles. And it's often compared to, oh, that's like Jim Carrey in Batman Forever. Like that's Jim Carrey's Riddler. Like that's that. It's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's Jim Carrey doing Jim Carrey. Going, it, just an evil, an evil Jim Carrey. That's what we're getting. But it works for the character. And you sort of, I lose myself in it. I'm like, I don't see, I look past the Jim Carrey. I don't see him. I see the Riddler as this fully formed character. It does really work, again, within the tone of this movie, within this isolated little universe corner of these Batman films. It really does work. I mean, he's another one where, I mean, Dent's origin is pretty much the origin. It's the visual that's different. The backstory that the Riddler has in this is different to what we would normally have. Like, until this film, it not being an employee at Wayne Enterprises. So they did take some creative licenses, but it really does work for this film. And then he does become the Riddler. There's that fun sequence where he's trying to come up with his villain name and he's, yeah, totally, yeah. 
it's, it's a really good, a great sequence and he's coming up with the different names and he finally he lands on the Riddler. Now, Frank Gorshin, who played the Riddler in the 60s TV series, he really was quite manic. And I'm pretty sure Riddler appeared in that series before the Joker did. So there's some elements of the Joker, I think, in this movie, in both characters, more so Two-Face, but you do get some of those elements in, in the Riddler as well. I mean, at the end of the day, like all these, all these characters are just crazy. They, they all deserve to be locked up in Arkham. <laughs> they're, all, they're all just insane. And I think when you, you start to describe the characters as insane and it's like, go with it, it's, you are going to get you know, something that is like the Joker, where it's just crazy people. The riddles that they used in the film, they went to Will Shorts. He is a puzzle master on national public radio and editor of the New York Times crossword puzzle. So there you go. They went legit. Well, they didn't just get the screenwriters to oh, just put some riddles together. They went to the puzzle master. Yeah. Will I Shorts. mean, the, the riddles themselves, I mean, pretty easy. Pretty easy to work out. But the fact that there's a there's an overall connection to them all. They all in, all the puzzles include a number and then all the numbers stand for a letter which spell uh, what does it spell like Enigma or something yeah. like that. Enigma or, mystery or Enigma Edward Nigma. And then yeah. Enigma is mystery. Yeah. Anyway, was it, or something like to that. work it out, yeah. Or what's, I think it spells out mystery or something like that. It is mystery, yeah. And and then, yeah, and then it's like another word for mystery is enigma, and it's like enigma. Yeah, good times. Yeah, good times. So again, we've got Will Shorts to thank. <laughs> I mean, thank you, Will Shorts. That's just one. Okay, let's talk Robin. Dick Grayson, we've got Chris O'Donnell as a grown-up playing the young ward. I, the I man guess, wonder. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I get it. I get why they couldn't have a teenager or a young teen. I mean, it wouldn't make sense. It doesn't make sense if you've got like a 12-year-old boy, no superpowers. I mean, yeah, abilities, but no superpowers. It doesn't. I mean, something like Spider-Man is different where, you you know, he's got superpowers. He's got powers. powers. It does does make sense. But when you've got adult Val Kilmer and adult Chris O'Donnell, it's just two blokes. (laughs) (laughs) Two mates. Just two mates. Just getting it done. (laughs) But O'Donnell, he's he's fine. He's he's good in this. And and he is. And again, you know what? He is. He is good in this. My only thing, you know, we we can move past it now, is the fact that he's clearly, he's he's not a young kid. He doesn't need to be a ward of Bruce Wayne. But they're not not trying to sell it in this movie like he is a kid that needs. No, they're not. So no, I mean, you think... the, the premise with Bruce Wayne inviting him to stay with him is literally because it's like, hey, you need a place to stay. Exactly. Kind of and thing. that's what I mean. The it's, like, him up it's like Alfred, yeah. tell him he can crash pretty much. Like he can crash at my joint and uh, whatever, you know, like. Yeah. I mean, it's not, just died. Yeah. It's not like watching horror films from back in the day where adults play high schoolers. They're not, they're not doing that. <laughs> yeah. But you, for me, them. you think... Robin, he's the teenage psychic. 
you know, it, anyway, it's, it is. It is. I think it still works. Like, I mean, he he does appear younger than Val Kilmer, you know, in a way like, uh, yeah, like it 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 does seem there is still a distinction between the two of them, even in stature. You know, he's smaller. It works as a Batman and Robin dynamic, and I try not to use that word, but yeah, you've got a duo, and the dynamic works. There it is. I said it. Um, what Robin's doing, or what Dick Grayson is doing in this movie? I mean, there's some there's some weird stuff. He likes to use his acrobats <laughs> just whenever the hell he wants. Really, like whether doing it's laundry. I mean, oh, <laughs> kid can use a. I mean, yeah, he can. Why were Why were the clothes so wet? Like, were they not using? <laughs> well, they just washed them. Yeah, would they come out wet though? Don't they have a, a yeah, but that, no, but that was like really wet. That was like, there was like another spin cycle. I mean, yeah, I agree. Yeah, they're wetter than they need to be, but I guess it added, <laughs> it added to added to the sequence. Hey, mopped up, so that's all good. He gets the suit, it's... though, thanks to Alfred, who he repeatedly refers to as Al. That was the yeah. thing. Disrespectful, um, I think. Yeah, no, I thought that as well. <laughs> but if we jump to Trivial. the third one, or the climax, or close to, and you've got the bit where... Robin exclaims, "Holy rusted metal, Batman!" Yeah, oh, why does he become? Why ah, you like it? Well, well it's just, just like why does he homage to Bert Ward's Robin from the '66 TV series. That is all that is. It's a homage, and him, it's that a... Schumacher, that was inspired by that was the intention. Yes, yeah. so and I like it. And then Batman's like, "What?" And Robin goes, "It's holy, like made of holes, you know." And Batman goes, "Oh." <laughs> and they just move yeah, on. Yeah, it's, it's like the back and forth between them. It's just like it's all vacuum of Batman feels uncomfortable and silly, <laughs> but it was a nice homage. Like when because yeah. when Robin is first going out in this movie, he's wearing what he what the Flying Graysons used to wear in the circus, and then yeah. it's Alfred that puts together the new suit for him with nipples. Thanks, Al. But he puts this suit together for him. And I've always liked the, se- the sequence. So in the Batcave, it's the big battle. And then Batman's trying to decide, do I go by air or by sea? And in the previous movies, so Batman, the first one, 89, he went by air. He went by sea in the sewers in Batman Returns. So now he's like, which one of the two? And then mm. Robin comes down for the first time and he's like, how about both? I kind of figured that Riddle and Two-Face would be a something deadly combination or whatever. It's, it's a good moment. And then you've got the bit where they both go off and I liked that. It was a good It moment. is a nice, and again, like more connective tissue to those other ones, a bit of a callback. And it is, yeah, like a, the next step forward. It's like, we've done this, we've done that. Which one do I go this time? I'm running out of options, you know. But yeah, no, that's, it, it, it's moments like that are cool. And you you got to appreciate them. I hate when Robin first discovers the the Batcave, though. You know, like he sneaks in there and he slides down and it's like, intruder alert, intruder alert. But as that alarm is beaming, everything is being unveiled. The Batmobile is coming out from its, like, tunnel. (laughs) All the screens are switching on. The Batsuit is lit up. It's like, not security. security. (laughs) Yeah, and then Alfred's just stood there. Yeah, like, it's not the best security. I mean, it's... It's pretty obvious that Bruce Wayne's Batman. Even if you go back to Batman <laughs> Returns, he's in his, like, the big open space in the house, the bat signal goes off, and then he's got all those mirrors on the top of his roof. 
that, sh- that reflects <laughs> the bat signal directly into his window is not subtle. Just for when he's sleeping on his couch, on his like little armchair there, so it wakes him up, the beam, yeah. We get a moment where Dick Grayson suggests Nightwing for a hero now. That's fun. It was Nightwing in the Lunas, comics yeah. when he retired the name Robin. And even if you look at the design of the costume, he's still got the cape, but the, the way that the, the Robin... Oh, no, the most... Oh, no, sorry, that's in Batman and Robin. It's more... That's what I was going to say. I was like, yeah, that's... You yeah. save that. Okay, I'll, I'll talk about it later when I do the next episode. But in <laughs> this, sounds... in this, it is it's more muted colours, so they're not going primary. And I think for this for this world, even though there's neon lights everywhere, but I think that if you put this Robin suit beside the bat suit, they work well together. I mean, they do. Yeah, they they match, and it is. It's like his new revamped suit is essentially his circus gear, but like modern rubber. Yeah, rubber. <laughs> rubber. Yeah. yeah, less fabric, more rubber. Which, that tracks, that's, you know, same, same. And I mentioned Alfred Pennyworth. Returning, we have Michael Go, And he is Alfred in all four of the movies that spanned from 89 to 97. Mm-hmm. Him, the Batman and, Anthology. They, they yes, that's what they call it. Yes, it. Yeah, him and Pat Hingle, we'll get to that guy. But Michael, go. For me, this guy is Alfred. I love everything about him. I'm not quite sure why or how he knows his niece's measurements in Batman and Robin, but again, that's for another time. <laughs> but he's, he's great in this. He, he's, <laughs> he's, a really, he's a really good Alfred. He's got some cool like, little quips. He's got some one-liners that he just throws in there. You know, just like a bit of sarcasm here and there. I think he he's very self-aware of his situation and everything that's going on. There's that one bit I think he gives... He, it's either when he gives Batman his costume outside the... Um, um, outside Enigma's bike party or it's Robin's costume and he says, he's like, oh, maybe the... Maybe the palace will take me back or something like that. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's a smart-ass, that Alfred. Old Al. It's good. The movie opens with him trying to give was that a dinner or supper or whatever to to Batman? And then Val Kilmer yeah. just goes, I'll get drive through. Okay. <laughs> so straight away, it's like the opening of the movie. In case you're wondering, audience, this is the tone we're going for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they don't. They, that's right. They're not wasting time. They, oh, the, I mean, we should talk about the bloody... the like the like He's getting... He's putting his suit on and it's like, you see, like, you know, the, the back thingies off his arms like the <laughs> the close remember, is there is there a butt shot in this yes. one or do they say that him and Robin. They... no no it's here as well they oh, both yeah. get obviously just just him for this one no, or do they do they suit up they suit up again don't they in this oh, movie that's a good point or maybe it just no be... maybe it's just i think i think you're right i think it's just batman in this one and then Batman and Robin in the second. In, yeah, uh, Batman and then Batman yeah. gets added and it just goes on forever. It takes him so long yeah, to get I, I was kind of zoned out when the movie started when I rewatched it, so I couldn't <laughs> remember. If, I was just like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Like, you know, it's cool. We'll get back to to Jim Gordon. Let's talk costumes then. Let's, let's stay on it. Schumacher's decision to put nipples and enlarged cod pieces on the back costumes, as well as an earring on Robin caused controversy. It's even bothered Batman creator Bob Kane. 
Schumacher said he wanted the costumes to have an anatomic look, while the earring was supposed to make Robin look more hip. He also claimed <laughs> that the basis for the Batman and Robin suits came from statues of the gods of ancient Greece. So he was trying to present the male physique. That's what he was going for. Well, that, that's yeah, the like reason for the nipples. Animalistic look, like the masculinity, you know, you see like the defined, like the six packs or eight packs or whatever they've got, the defined breasts, areas, all that kind of stuff and i always thought the ring on robin's ear was like uh was meant to be like a like a tracking tag on a bird i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's that look at that cool teenager with the ear yeah he's that that cool 30 year old with a with a i remember always wondering what is with the nipples now we know that's that's what he was going for. Well, he had the, he had the same approach with the with the Batmobile design, which to me was for the longest time my favorite Batmobile because it was my first Batmobile that I was exposed to. But he, he wanted, you know, you can see the grills, you can see the lighting underneath. It was meant to be like just animalistic. You could see the moving parts of it, and it had sort of like a beast like quality to it. Neon lights, though. I mean, it's... it's yeah. <laughs> but, you, but you know what? I I had the toy. I do like yeah. the design. It's not practical, but then none of the Batmobiles are good at taking corners. And this one isn't any different. I mean... I, when we, we climb to, up walls, but... <laughs> yeah. Apparently, there was going to have a, a rooftop car chase scene, but they ran out of money or time. One of the two. So, so he just drives wall. up, and, and that was it. I always took that as, as if it was a homage to the old... TV series where Batman and Robin used to climb the wall, a celebrity would oh. poke out of the window. I always took it as yeah. being that. With the Batmobile, again, it's got a fun design. It's very long and spiky. But originally, um, they went to Swiss surrealist painter H.R. Geiger, who you'd know from designing aliens from the Ridley Scott movie. But they thought that, or they considered is designed to be too sinister for this film. But you can see con- concept art where Geiger had drawn out the Batmobile, which do look okay. pretty cool. So it's almost like what we get in the movie is a more scaled-back version of that. One more thing on the costumes. More than 100 Batman and Robin costumes were created to allow for the range of stunts from underwater scenes to fighting involving fire and extreme fighting. So you need a suit for every occasion. So that's yeah, where no. some of the budget's going on all these well, I mean, rubber costumes. They, they, ma- they made that costume, that, uh, that bat suit that you know, had the <laughs> repellent fire thing. <laughs> Obviously, I know that's not real, but... That's know. the CGI news. <laughs> that's the CGI. <laughs> but no, there's that bit where, you know, he jumps through, you see him jumping through that, like, doorway of fire. And I'm like, you know, even though it's just a little... It's stunt, a pretty cool scene, would... yeah. He's got the cape yeah. and, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Okay, Pat Hingle is back. It's James Gordon. He's the police commissioner of Gotham City. And... Talked about this guy when I reviewed yeah. Batman Returns. I'm not sure what your take was, because I know you did Batman 89 with Rob as an episode of Rewind and Review. I mean, I, I don't have anything fully against him, but I just know that he's, he's, not, he's not Commissioner Gordon. Not really. Like, no, he's not. I'm in not name talking. only. And yes. Yes. 
exactly. Okay, we're done. We're done here. We agree. I mean, that's, he really yeah, is like, Gordon in name. I mean, he is the police commissioner. I mean, that's his status. Oh, I know. But he and he, his name is, is Gordon. Terrible. <laughs> like, so we last saw him as Gordon in '97. Fast forward to 2005, Gary Oldman, perfection, the Absolutely. best, James Gordon. But this guy, you've said it, and I've said it before, name only, this guy. And again, this is not a dig at Pat Hingle as an actor. It's the character that is written for these films, and it is just not Commissioner Gordon. But even, even like, even what he's doing on screen, like he seems, his character just seems to pop up just to either give out a bit of exposition or something and then just disappear. Like he plays no actual vital role. He's um, there beside the police officer that switches on the bat signal. That's the part that he yeah. plays. He doesn't even turn it on himself. But there's that moment sometimes, in the roof. Sometimes he wakes up in his pajamas and he and he's just like I saw the signal. <laughs> yeah, why is that? that? That never made sense to me. It's almost like he sleeps yeah. at the police station because because the bat signal is on the roof of the police station. That's the bit where Chase is waiting for Batman. Yeah, well, he might. He might. He might have come from home. No, just didn't get changed. No, because well, I, I mean, I, I suppose we don't know how long it took Batman to get there. But I always got the impression that oh, this guy sleeps at work. That's what's <laughs> clearly clearly happening here. He has that moment on the roof. It's either about a signal again. That's for the most part. It's what he does. And the Bat Cave, for the most part, has been destroyed. But then Batman is in the Batwing. Gordon's about to, or he asks a, a police officer, "Turn it off. It's not coming." And he goes, "Wait a minute. Wait a minute." And then the Bat signals there. The Riddler's added his green Riddle sign, and Batman in the Batwing flies through the Bat signal and sticks his thumb up at Gordon. And Gordon just goes, go, go. That's like the only thing it did for me in that movie. I like that moment. Although I don't (laughs) think from that distance, he would have seen that Batman was giving him a thumbs up. But that's okay. And I don't don't think Batman could have heard Gordon be like, go, go. (laughs) No, that's that's also a good point. Uh, You know, it's fun for us. It is, but we've we've done Gordon. He has like one moment in Batman Forever and we've we've talked about it. We've got two Let's talk about the sexy ladies. Yes, okay, that's it. Well, (laughs) if you you let me, we've got two characters, Sugar and Spice. Sugar played by Drew Barrymore. It's still odd seeing her having a bit part in this film. But she mm. does. She's like, she's, she's 19 good. years old in this movie. Really? Wow. From my memory, as a oh, five word, I think this might have been the first time I discovered girls. <laughs> even as a five year old. No, like, even as a, even from, I remember the earliest viewing of it, I was always just like, she's really pretty. Holy crap. Like, I didn't know it was Drew Barrymore. I didn't know who Drew Barrymore was. You didn't know it was the kid for me, T. <laughs> How hell was I supposed to know she was that little girl okay. in E.T.? How the hell would I have known? She's playing Sugar, a good blonde assistant, wearing a white corset bodysuit. So th- this is the good and bad side of Two-Face's personality. On the other side, we have Spice, played by Debbie Mazar, and she's clearly the bad assistant. So the good assistant and a bad assistant. And we have that fun scene where they both cooked his favourite dinner. Mm. Both completely different. What's really fun about that scene, though, is the Riddler 
is there the whole time. Way before he introduces himself, he's just in the background. I've always liked that. He's there for the whole scene. Just Everything's going on. Do you want this or do you want this? And he's just there. And then eventually he makes his big introduction. These characters were new for the film. Originally, they had different names, like Leather and Lace or something like that. Oh, that would have been... Okay. Would have been, but I think Sugar and Spice is a better way to go. Like Leather and Feather. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So they first appeared as brand new characters in this film. The only other time they've appeared, it was in a comic book tie-in to the Batman Arkham video game series. So they never actually featured in the game, but in one of the comics, there they are. That's pretty cool. That legitimizes them in in some degree. They're fine. I think uh, Spy, um, not Spy, Sugar. (laughs) Sugar probably has a more prominent role out of the two purely because she accompanies uh, Riddler at, at, at his you know, big party that he has. Whereas Spice, I guess, kind of <laughs> just left. We mentioned already this film does have a tonal shift to what came before. There's there's a book out, Batman, The Complete History, and Michael Keaton said about turning down Batman Forever, to lighten up and brighten it up and be a cartoon was of no interest to me. So maybe if Burton did stay on, he he would have stuck around. Schumacher, but this is interesting actually, Schumacher originally wanted to make a much darker and more serious film that would more fully explore Bruce Wayne's growing fear that his crusade to be Batman had done more harm than good and that Bruce was beginning to suffer from burnout, but the executives at Warner Brothers insisted on a lighter tone. So even Schumacher apparently was having a bit of bit of pushback. I I can believe that purely on just what Schumacher had, like the films he had made previously, the tones of those films and what they sort of addressed and all that. On the other hand, I don't think Schumacher would have been able to actually deliver on that um, with it being a comic book movie. And I guess his approach to what a comic book movie is to him, I was um, once I'd listened to the um, the commentary for the movie back when I had a lot more free time on my hands, um, and there's that one scene where Robin lifts Batman out of like I don't know what that is, all that grain, that sand stuff, um, and Schumacher's talking about the physics of the scene, and he's like, "So this was I'm going to allow bits and pieces to pretty much defy physics because it's a comic book movie," and I guess his treatment of 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 it being that. I don't know if a real movie... But I think what you're talking about there is the film that was decided that we were going to make when they started to make the movie. This okay. is potentially so, like the earlier stages. Like when he was mapping out initially like what he wanted to do was going to be something darker. I mean, there is deleted scenes, like something with Bruce Wayne and a giant bat. Like you can yeah. look up things on YouTube where you oh, do the, see the, yeah. some darker deleted scenes. I was going to talk about it later, but I'll do it now. Schumacher died in June of this year, but soon after, media outlets started reporting the possible existence of a Schumacher cut, with the first rumours being thrown in by journalist Mark Bernardin. This version was believed to be darker and contained less camp than the theatrical cut, 
Some of the differences include Bruce facing off against a human-sized bat, the darker, more serious tone, less of an emphasis on Dick Grayson, and a focus on Bruce's psychological issues with Chase. In total, the cut uses about 40 minutes of footage. Warner Brothers confirmed the cut exists after an interview with Variety, although they have no plans to release it and were unsure about whether, if any footage, remains. That bit there about the giant bat, you can see that on YouTube. There's heaps of stuff on YouTube. There's like there's a complete there's a whole uh, like opening scene that's different, with, which involves Harvey Dent escaping Arkham, and you've got that that doctor that's you know there that you see later on. Um, like he's there and he's you know witnessing it. And he's like, oh, he's escaped. And then you get to the scene where he's you know there's the whole heist and he's you know Batman appears and he's trying to yeah. take down Two Face. I read that as well. There's stuff out there. There's heaps of stuff. It really is. So, and it and, sounds I mean, like the, the Schumacher cut does exist. I mean, at least there'd be enough. Well, Warner Brothers have confirmed it. They've said that it does exist. But oh, what, well, there you what go. shape it's in, who knows? Exactly. But the exactly. footage is out there. But it's not like with the Snyder cut. Because Snyder's yeah. still here. He's still very active in what's going on with DC now. So I think if... Schumacher was still with us. Maybe this is something that could see the light of day. But I think, yeah, I don't think it would. We've, I don't we've believe it's interesting. You can piece it together in your mind, like, and it adds to the fact that he was at one time looking to do a darker film than what we, what we eventually got. I mean, like I mentioned, like that, what Val Kilmer's delivering is, you know, he is make, doing a sincere effort. At a, they bring into life a true character, and this movie does delve into, you know, the psyche a bit. You know, there's there's scenes here, and a lot of the interaction with um, Meridian Chase, like Nicole Kidman's character, who we haven't actually really talked about yet, which we probably could talk about now. Um, you know, she, she deals with like that. I guess that that the headspace kind of thing with like personality disorders and all that kind of stuff, and you know, people's psyches. They touch on it. I feel like there could have been more, but if there was a true cut of, you know, a darker film, all the camp that's in this movie, it would just create a complete tonal mess. At least this movie is consistent with its yes, That's the word like, I was thinking. It, it is consistent. We, we did touch on Chase earlier, Nicole Kidman. She likes Black Rubber. Uh, oh, that's, I mean, well, yeah, in that, it's just that there's more scene. to it than that. So, good point. I'm glad that you brought I feel like I, I never got my chance to say that I don't really like a character. <laughs> so. I think she's fine. I think she's all right. And it's, I, I think, think a, lot of her, a lot of her scenes where she's just talking, and I'm just like, shut up. I feel like she's <laughs> overacting. I don't I know. Just don't, I, I, think, I, don't I, I like, I like Nicole Kidman. Don't get me wrong. Yes. But, yeah. uh, I'm just not liking what she's doing here. I don't, Chase Meridian, a new character created for this film. It's not like right, Vicky Bale, Selina Kyle, who were lifted from the comics. She was an That's original true. character. You know, not until doing prep for this did it occur to me, or I read it somewhere, so it didn't occur to me. I read it. This film marks the first appearance of Arkham Asylum in a live-action Batman film. We didn't see Arkham in those first two Batman films. Yet until I read this, That's a good point. I would I have thought we did. 
but now this film I, I, yeah i'm thinking i mean obviously yeah they're not in the two batman films that became like wow. this is the first time um the soundtrack the score the first two films had danny elfman not this time we have elliot goldenthal his work includes music for films such as alien 3 michael collins and hate and of course batman forever and he came back for batman and robin Goldenthal was hired by Schumacher to compose the film score before the screenplay was written. In discussions with Schumacher, the director wanted Goldenthal to avoid taking inspiration from Danny Elfman and requested an original composition. The film's promotional teaser trailer did actually use Elfman's score from 89's Batman. So that first teaser, it sounds like you're getting more of the same. But this movie with Goldenthal's score, very different. But you know what? I've always liked it. It's big, bombastic, it's sweeping. It's a great now thing. You, now, you had seen the Burton films before this one, right? Oh, of course, heaps. Yeah, lots. Right, okay. Because I was say, like, I would like an opinion of someone who had that score first. Because obviously this being the first Batman film I ever watched, like, this was the music. This was what I was familiar with being Batman. Obviously, now I'm like, nah, the Tim Burton. <laughs> and it's definitely a oh, better score. Of course, yeah. That, that but is... Daniel, a better score. Yeah. But I'll always have that nostalgic, nostalgic thing, not just for this movie, but for the score itself. I really um, like so the score a lot. I like it, but I, I don't know, is it nostalgia or is it just a genuine... Could be. You know, like would, you know why... Why do we like the things we like? You know, is it because we came to it at a certain age? Yeah, but it, right. it is it is very different. I, I do think it, I do think it's a good sounding tune. It really like, is. And you can hum it. You can remember it. Like that for me, that's the yeah. sign of a good thing. And it and it was clearly, you know, Schumacher's direction, like give me something different to Elfman. You know, I want this to be my own Batman sound. And Goldenfold delivers. Like, I honestly, like he comes back again for Robin. It's good there too. It's it is a good score, but we also we get songs. That first Batman movie gave us Prince for some reason. Yeah. There's a Prince album, <laughs> and then I don't think Batman Returns gave us anything, did they? No, it didn't. That was a score. Um, there's like one rock track on there, but everything else is just Danny Elfman. But this soundtrack, though, um, yeah, what do we have? we have? Kiss from a Rose. See all I can think of with this. What else is it? Oh, there's, I mean, there's songs scattered throughout, like when, oh, um, you know, Nigma's choosing okay. so, his outfit. Kiss from a Rose by Seal was originally a song that he put out on his album. And then it was repurposed for this movie. And there's the music video with Seal, clips of Batman and Robin. But that is a great song. An original <laughs> song written for this film was... Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me by U2. That was a song actually written for this film. And there was a couple of other like hits from the soundtrack as well. So this film had both a score and a music soundtrack. Music from and inspired by, which always used to bug me as a big soundtrack collector. You'd, you'd get like an album full of inspired by. Give me songs from the movie. 
That's another thing. Especially when they don't include the songs from the movie. Oh, I know, but instead... And they just give you other ones, and it's like, no, just give me the songs. Like, the songs in the movie were hell good. But, you know what, That I think that just paints the picture of this movie was made for extended marketing. Sell the toys. Sell the soundtrack. You know, like, whatever else they were selling. Happy Meals. (laughs) That's everything. They didn't get a Happy Meal for this because of Batman Returns. That movie was too dark and McDonald's weren't happy. No, what I had, I don't have any more. I had, I'm pretty sure if it wasn't McDonald's, it was something else, but I had some takeaway meal toys. They were like holographic Batman forever. They were like discs. Like they're probably like the size of like a coaster. And they were holographic images. And you'd obviously do what holograms do. And it was like, it was like Batman. And then you move it and it was, Bruce Wayne, and then okay. Well, well, I'll look into that later. Yeah, because I, because <laughs> I remember them not liking the tone of Returns, and them telling no. But maybe whether it was maybe Hungry Jacks, or yeah. Burger I don't King. think it was McDonald's that didn't like the. T- it was parents that didn't like the. Oh, you're right. <laughs> okay. Us, I thought it kids was McDonald's. Okay. More research needed in in that area, but things that we <laughs> didn't get, and I, I, honestly, I'm going to bring it up here. And I've talked about it before on the podcast. So disappointed that this never happened. A Batman '89 comic artist Joe Quinones and Kate Leth pitched a sequel comic to Batman Returns in 2015 that would have featured Billy D. Williams' version of Harvey Dent and his transformation into Two-Face, it would have retconned the event of Schumacher's films. But it would have been canon to Burton's films. And there's artwork that you can see online, and it is fantastic. And DC said no. Always been disappointed about that. To you know, The option that we could have had this world continue. But saying that, we're getting the Flashpoint movie whenever that happens. And yeah. Keaton is back as Batman. So just like this comic was looking to do, it's going to retcon Val Kilmer and George Clooney. Well, that's the thing. Like, I, don't, I, still never, I still don't know why they said no to that comic. You know, they're always doing like what ifs, elsewhere type kind of one-offs. Why not just do it? Like, And DC... Yeah, DC do so many uh, digital-only or digital-first comics. It would have been perfect for that. Anyway. Just a fun little... And I reckon it would have been a pretty hot... I mean, I would have bought it because I think that... I would have bought it. Yeah, for sure. And and if you see... for movie fans as a... If you follow Joe Quinones online on social media, Instagram, all all those platforms, he's always putting up artwork and often he'll chuck up a... Michael Keaton, Batman, and he can draw the hell out of Batman. Maybe one day, if enough people <laughs> like us just keep mentioning it, they'll eventually do it. But yeah, it, it would have been good to see. But Batman Forever, your rating out of five. You know, for the longest time, and I, I guess, you know, on nostalgia purposes, I would always enjoy this movie and I'd always like it to an extent. And, you know, still praise it for its faults and all that kind of stuff on this recent rewatch i really struggled with it i think 
I don't know. I just, I struggled with a lot of it. There's still a lot to enjoy. There's still bits and pieces and performances. And, you know, again, overall, they clearly knew what they wanted to put on screen and they did that. They went for a certain tone and they did that. And it's consistent and I praise them for that. However, like, there's there's just a lot of overacting and I'm not talking about Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones. I'm talking about Nicole Kidman. I'm talking about um, just a lot of the other supporting characters, even minor characters. There's just a lot of... A lot. There's a lot happening. Um, there's, there's, I don't know, there's bat nipples. There's, there's a lot happening. There's laundry, kung fu. There's <laughs> just so many things that just make me, I don't know. The goons, it is a cartoon. This movie's a cartoon. And I, I feel sad saying this because I'm like, you know, hopefully I can revisit it again and just, you know, find a way to enjoy it. <laughs> hopefully it's not burnt for me forever um forever there it is um i'm gonna give it a 2.5 out of five which i didn't think i would be doing but yeah i don't know i just didn't really didn't really rate it this most recent watch it's a shame really it's just I hearing I you know how much this movie meant to you when you first watched it and yeah that's it the years. And I can see behind you, you've got pop vinyls of both Riddler and Two-Face. So I, even I though... Always <laughs> love, I will always love the wacky designs yes. of these characters. Like. So unfortunately, this rewatch didn't leave up to past experiences, but I can see you're still... You're still a fan. Oh, it'll always hold that place. But, you know, critically, I'm like, no, it's not great. <laughs> I... Um, I'm going to be completely ballsy here, especially compared to a 2.5. <laughs> I not this, not for the podcast. I just had an urge to go back and rewatch the four Batman films, which, like you said earlier, is classified now as the Batman anthology. And across four nights, I went from Batman to Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin, admittedly, was a struggle, but Batman Forever, I can honestly say. I don't know if it was the mood I was in on the day, but I enjoyed it more in this recent rewatch than ever. I don't know why, but I got so much out of it. <laughs> it is problematic, and you've you've, you've you've done a good job of highlighting those reasons. But it's just it's a lot of fun. It's not what Burton is doing. It's lighter. Uh, I guess this rewatch, I, I leaned more into what Bruce Wayne was dealing with. Robin's still a grown-up, is a bloke. But there's, I just, I had fun with it. I I really did. And and then I was so optimistic going into Batman and Robin thinking I was going to have the same experience. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. But this film, I'm going to come in, I'm going to come in at a four. Jesus. A four. <laughs> just for pure enjoyment. Like, it's... Okay. <laughs> I just, yeah. I really, I really enjoyed the movie. There's, you know, Two Face and Riddler. There's Batman. It's just, I, I had a lot of fun. So even with Batman smiling and nipples and enlarged cod pieces and the extreme close up to the ass, push all that to one side. I had a lot of fun with this. I'm going to stand by it. I'm going to give it, yeah, four out of five. I know. I'm, I'm glad. 
I'm glad. And I hope I can rewatch it again at some point and have that experience again and be like, yeah, here we go. We're just having, we're just having fun. Maybe after a few beers. But do you know what? It's a good movie to watch at Halloween. There's Halloween that features in this movie. It counts, I think, as a Halloween movie. So we could get an annual watch if you're that way inclined. Hey, if people are listening to it, as I posted it, it is Halloween. So there we go. This movie will be posted at Halloween 2020. Enjoy. The accident. One last thing I want to point out before you give your wonderful outro. So I don't want to ruin it. I want to say it before you do your outro. John Favreau features in this movie. Did you know? I read that recently, but I don't remember seeing him in the film. Where was he? He's when Bruce Wayne is at Wayne Tech and he first meets Enigma. He's one of like, his assistants or whatever right. that are, he doesn't say anything. He's just there. <laughs> He's bizarre. You see his face. And then you see when the other's assistants sort of turn around and walk away, he goes with them. It's legit him. Like it's John that Favreau. Is, it's like 100%. Like, that. Yeah, that's him. I don't remember seeing him, but I have read that. When was Iron Man? Was that 2006? 2008. Okay. I remember like before, before that, you know, before he was, you know, this up and coming director, he was an actor, he was doing things, he was in Friends for a few episodes, he was in other stuff. Uh, he had dialogue swingers. in Friends though. Oh, what well, Swingers? Nah, like, he, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah he like had swingers, major roles um, in... What was the other one he did? There were two, weren't there? These Swingers and quickly followed up with the other one he did with Vince Vaughn. Uh, he did another one with Vince Vaughn? Yeah, they did two, a close period of time. Oh, off the top of my head, can't tell you. But he was in Batman Forever. There we go. Well, that's it for our episode all about Batman Forever. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Jason, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks. You might get one more Sounds Like Comics from me soon. That's my my quota (laughs) field for the year. (laughs) I mean, we know what it is. I'm not quite sure when I'm posting it yet, so we'll, we'll tease okay. it. There's, there's okay. something coming, and it may or may not feature teenagers with attitude. Leave it at that. As always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. <laughs>